Good morning. Joining me now is Mr. Al Bat from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota. Al, how are things today? You know, I can't complain at all. It's uh, I just uh, I still love fall, even when it uh, gives us kind of odd stuff. I know a lot of the farmers probably a little bit of um, moisture to the corn that they didn't need. So I, uh, it you know every year we get stuff like this. So I, I just love fall. It's just such a pretty time of the year, and I'm I'm already missing a lot of the leaves because man, every time the wind blows or the rain falls, we lose more leaves and. I just love seeing those leaves. I have a red maple in my yard that is red, yellow, and orange. It has the whole spectrum of colors there, and it just, it is breathtaking. I, I look at that, and there were two deer in the yard, and they were drinking. I have a really large bird water, and they were drinking from that, and they drink it dry. There's not a drop of moisture will remain in there when they're done. And it was as dark as 5 a.m. gets. And I'm looking at the deer, and her house cat, Pearl, stared out the window at the deer. And her tail became bigger and bigger and bigger the longer <laughs> she looked. So I guess the appearance of deer is subject to interpretation. She was, um, she expected there was some sort of great calamity or the end of the world as she knew it, apparently, with those deer. I saw a pair of sandhill cranes with two colts in Lesseur County near Waterville. And sandhill cranes mate for life, and they stay with their mates year-round. And the colts, which are the juveniles, will stick close to their parents for, oh, nine or ten months after hatching. Did you call but them a colt? Breeding... Like, like C-O-L-T, yep. as in a, like a horse colt, but that, that's what a sandhill yep. crane is called? Really? It is. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And each breeding pair will typically have only one colt per year that survives to fledging. So it was nice to see two of them. And the oldest sandhill crane on record was at least 36 years, seven months old, and was banded in Wyoming in 1973. I spotted uh, two family groups of trumpeter swans at Straight River Marsh in Steele County. One had five members and the other had six. Uh, young swans are called cygnets and often remain with their broodmates, so with their brothers and sisters, throughout the first year. And they may regroup with their parents at family wintering sites. So they might have a little family reunion, so to speak. Trumpeter swans are the largest native waterfowl in North America. They'll stretch, oh, I'm holding my hands way far apart here, five feet in length. And their eight-foot wingspan, and they'll weigh as much as 30 pounds. And the pair will stay together throughout the year. And trumpeters are assumed to mate for life. But I think they do switch mates on occasion when things just aren't working out. And before I forget, I do want to thank um, everybody, all the fine folks affiliated with the Pelican Breeze, for their, um, they had a recognition dinner for, for me the other day, and oh. um, my my wife, it was a surprise party, and it, you know, um, I was suspicious that something was going on, <laughs> but I didn't know it was. It hadn't occurred to me that it was a pelican breeze. What I, were you I thinking? Who, who gave it away? Was Gail, your wife, the one who kind of gave some clues, or how did you suspect well, something? Well, she was. 
ordering me around even a little more than normal, <laughs> saying, no, we have to go here first, then we're going there. I thought, wow, what difference does that make? Where we go first? So I knew something was afoot, but I had no idea what. And so I was um, completely surprised, and it, it, it meant the world to me, and I'm proud to have been affiliated with that fine vessel for 21 years now as it's floated on Albert Lee Lake. I've given uh, natural history tours on there. Now, is it so going to continue was, uh, on, Al? I mean, it's not like it's the end, is it? Or No, it's still oh, going. Okay, I had a great year this year. I remember I talked to one captain and first mate there, man and wife, and they said uh, they're retired now, but the one year they did 52 cruises, Whoa. just those two, That's 52 cruises on that. Oh, gosh. That's a full-time job, 52 of them. There were several days when they did four in one day. Oh, my. And Yeah, that's I, I'm not doing four in one day. I, I think I've done three. Maybe I've done four. I know I've done three. And the problem is you can't remember if you've already said this uh-huh. to this group or not. And also said it so often. your voice kind of gets a little hoarse sometimes, too, when you talk that much. It does. It does indeed. But, man, we've had people from Australia and China and Japan and um, a lot of U.K. folks, a lot of Canadians. We've had people from all over the world come and float around on that. Somebody asked me the other day, usually I get asked, why aren't there any acorns? Last year everybody said, there's no acorns. Why don't we have any acorns? I walked around one of the parks in Fairmont last year. There was nothing but baroque trees and found a grand total of zero acorns in late summer, early fall. Well, this year there's a lot of acorns. And an oak tree's mast, which is a nut crop, its production follows a boom and bust cycle. So they have a lot one year and not very many the next and maybe kind of an average. Hmm. Well, oak trees do this in order to keep predators off balance. If they produce the same amount each year, there'd be just enough predators to eat the entire acorn crop. And by fluctuating the mass, the tree ensures that some of the acorns will survive. So they'll have very few acorns one year, so there won't be enough to feed all the predators. So the predator numbers, and we're talking predators, chipmunks, squirrels, deer, wood ducks, all these kind of turkeys. So their numbers will go down a little bit because there's just not enough food. Well, then the next year, the oak tree will hit with this abundance. So then there's not enough predators to eat it all. So the oak tree, whether it knows it or not, has outsmarted all these uh, all these other critters. So is this a good um, control method for voles? So I should just quit planting my garden for a year and then have a bumper crop yeah, the next yeah. year and sort of go half, yeah. you know, half yeah. planting the next year. Maybe that's that, that's my solution for getting rid of all those voles and things. That might do it. I, I don't know. Man, it just seems to be no matter what, there's a lot of voles. They're just, <laughs> you know, they're such uh, opportunists. They eat pretty much everything, uh-huh. any kind of vegetation. And they're eating, um, I've still got a lot of tomatoes in the garden, especially the little uh, cherry ones and the little uh, yellow pear tomatoes, which I just dearly love. 
and they get in there and chew them up. And they chew on the bottoms of them and ruin them and everything. They, so they've taken all my cabbages, so I'm just not going to plant cabbage next year at all because it's oh. just it's hopeless. I mean, they ate my cauliflower. Now they've finished off my cabbage, and they two big holes in the center. So you get this nice outer layer, and you think there's nothing wrong, and then you look closer, and you can see that they've chewed out the inside out. So, um, oh. yeah, so forget it. No more cabbage for me. Yeah, they're... Um, you, you got to hand it to them. They're very good at what they do. Um, they're just, and if you think about vole, there's everything in there that's about love because you just move the words, the letters around in the word vole, and you get love out of it. So maybe if we just love them, we, we could love them to death. I don't know. Put out, of course, I don't know if they'd eat cheese pizza or not. Put on enough pizza, maybe. My wife's um, eye doctor. His name is Dr. Leonid Skorin, and he's at uh, with the Mayo Clinic and Albert Lee. And he has, uh, I talked to him the other day, and I don't know what you call those little carts when somebody has a bad wheel. They put their knee on one of the carts, and then they walk with a regular leg. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a name for it. So they can scoot around, and he was working, and he needed that to get around. Well, it turns out he had been bitten by a brown recluse spider. Oh. And we don't we don't have them here, but this one, they figure, came in the mulch. So I don't want to scare everybody about oh, mulch, but um, Leonid said, tell everybody, check their mulch. So oh. I am. I, but he's, he's going to be all right and everything. He said it was hard to begin with because he said nobody could recognize what it was, sure. what the bite was. So there might still be some little question on it. But uh, Bernie Sonic says, Hi, Al. It's been a while since we talked. Been busy with fishing and traveling. Spent most of August in Europe seeing old friends and cruising around Spain, celebrating 50 years of wedded life. Well, happy anniversary, Bernie. He said, Where have all the blackbirds gone? There used to be huge numbers of blackbirds this time of year. We did have a good number of monarch butterfly releases somewhere in the teens. Yeah, you know, I was out driving around the last couple of days, Bernie. I've seen some fairly good-sized flocks, not the mammoth ones. I assume I'll see more in number and larger in size flocks. Some of them could have certainly moved south. As a matter of fact, I know some of them move south because some do every year. They become quite nomadic, so maybe when some of the corn, more of the corn's out, maybe we'll see them. But, boy, that's a good question. I did, today I didn't see that many of them. Uh, yesterday I didn't see many. So uh, if, if anybody's seen them, you must be kind of cornering the market on those. Uh, Kent Spellman. Kent lives up in the Twin Cities. Uh, just a great guy. He saw, said, Al, I thought you might enjoy this article. I also think that backyard squirrels and rabbits are evolving so they can beat the protections that I put on the feeders. (laughs) Hope they commission a study to confirm this belief. Hope all is well with you. I listen to your radio show on KMSU and read your column. Uh, He sent a wonderful article about uh, UK birds, and the article was about the beaks of some of these birds growing longer since the 1970s. So already the birds with longer beaks are out surviving those with shorter beaks when it comes to feeder birds. 
And the longer beaks are doing well, getting more bird seed and sunflower seeds, and just doing better in that area. And that's why they're surviving. So we're seeing a bit of evolving in these the feeder birds, just uh, the regular birds that come to our feeders. And it's interesting with the birds that come, I was watching early this morning, nuthatches, uh, chickadees, blue jays were all flying in, grabbing seeds, and then flying away with them. They, some of them store food, and chickadees, nuthatches, and blue jays are some of those birds that cache food, and they hide food all over their territory. It's a behavior known as scatter hoarding. So, example, and where where age, might they hide it, Al? Because I've had cases where all of a sudden there will be this big bunch of, like, like weed seeds that will grow up in one spot, and I always wonder if a bird or squirrel or something put it there. So where would might a bird hide it? Yeah, blue jays will usually have a territory, well, it might cover two and a half mile or two and a half acres. Actually, it'd be two and a half miles. I was right the first time. Let me think about it and get clear here. Actually, they would go two and a half miles from an oak tree. Oh, wow. And they would bury their acorns all around in that area. And they'll remember a lot of them, but they won't remember them all. Or, you know, something could happen to that blue jay. They could bury up to 5,000 oh. acorns in a, in a year. Oh, my. So there's a lot of acorns out there. So they are one of the oak tree's buddies because they plant a lot of oak trees. I was waiting in a driveway for a friend to come home. We were going to do something, and I watched as the chickadees flew in, and then the nuthatches flew in. And the nuthatches, uh, oh, I just love nuthatches, they were caching the seeds in the crevices and bark. And they were probably going maybe 50 feet from the feeder, so they weren't going very far. I watched the chickadees. And they were taking seeds and nuts, and they were putting them in knot holes and bark. And he had a, a garage that, like a lot of garages, is probably going to be in need of shingling in the near future. <laughs> and the chickadee was shoving sunflower seeds under the shingles of this roof. And the chickadee was probably going 100 feet out. So he was going 100 feet a nuthatch was going maybe 50 feet, and then you got the blue jays going two and a half miles to bury acorns somewhere. So, yeah, you're right. You could, uh, a lot of folks will call me and say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing sunflowers growing. They're not growing under my feeders, but all of a sudden I got 10 sunflowers all growing in a clump. Yes, that's, well, that's what I've had. Possible. That's what I've had too. <laughs> yeah, where something's, and it could even be a mammalian uh, mouse or something that was storing food or a vole. A vole will cache food because we'll see that when uh, winter has come and gone. Then we'll see all those little like habitat trails in the lawn mm-hmm. where you can see where the voles made a nice bed out of grass. And then they have a little kitchen where they'll do some storage. Not a, I don't know how great a, uh, an animal they are storing things, but they certainly will store some. So um, a lot of things are out there uh, just getting ready for winter. It's Boy, when you think you're a little chickadee, you got to eat a lot of food. And there you are, and it's all of a sudden the weather's getting miserable. And it's just too cold to really go out or go hunting for food. It sure pays off if you know right where some food is close. 
That's why we have refrigerators. That's I I know where to go. The refrigerator freezer on I'm safe. Hey, I've got another question from a listener. Our friend John in New Ulm has a question for you. He said, my dad puts bird food on cement by his house for the turkeys. I hope it doesn't hurt their beaks when they pick at it. And he's concerned about that. And I says, well, I'll ask Al if it does it. Does it hurt them? I don't think so. I've been picked by a turkey. I don't know what could hurt those beaks. <laughs> Man, they're, they're like cement there. No, they'll uh, they'll do fine, and they, uh, they'll pick through anything. And I think if it's hurting them much, they would say, you know, I'm not going to do this much. And then they would consult a, a turkey dentist and get that beak taken care of. But, no, he's fine putting it out there. A lot of our birds really enjoy eating on ground. I've got a friend that puts millet out this time every year because he likes the juncos white-throated sparrows, white-crowned sparrows, and fox sparrows that come through here. And they like feeding on the ground. So he puts a lot of millet out there, and millet is a really, really small. Uh, morning doves also like it, but he puts that on the ground, and he gets these little bir- little tiny birds coming from all over to eat these things. Don't some of them um, need the, the gravel or the grit anyway to digest, isn't that? They do. So that might be not a bad thing to have it on the ground? That's right. Wouldn't that something, you know? That I suppose that's why we eat hard biscuits once in a while, so we'll have something to help grind our food up. There was, a, well, there still is, a Reverend Harris, who is a, a pastor in um, in Albert Lee, and I went to a program he put on the other night, and it was about loons, their history and everything and um, around this area, and it was, I enjoyed it very much. And it, on the way home, Oh, you know, I I just love learning stuff because it makes you think. But on the way home, I was considering that common loons used to nest in southern Minnesota and into Iowa. Hmm. Now, I would think that they probably were not very abundant in the prairie areas, but they, they nested this far south. By 1900, they were nesting in oh, central Minneapolis, probably. Uh, again, they would be pretty uncommon in the prairies. But today, breeding loons range across the northern two-thirds of the state. Well, in 2014, some Maine researchers, they released five loon chicks on Fish Lake in Lesur County. This lake is 78 acres in size. It's 55 feet at its deepest point. In 2015... They took nine young loons and transplanted them from northern Minnesota lakes to Fish Lake. Um, Loons need crystal clear lakes, which makes it easy for them to see prey with abundant populations of small fish. I do not know how those releases did. I tried to find out. Apparently, they didn't. Um, meet with great success. Well, we just don't. Have, I was gonna say we don't have the clearest lakes down in su- southern Minnesota, so that's probably a big reason why they've moved on. I would guess it is. And um, if some folks are probably wondering where in the world is Fish Lake, well, it'd be by Elysian, so it's in that area. So yeah, it'd be really neat to have loons, um, even if just on one lake around the area, it would be really nice. So we could just take visitors to go out and we could see the, the common. We won't want to get too close to them because they're not very good at... I've uh, Three years ago, perhaps, common loons 
there was a lot of them. They just um, they left their nests. They deserted their nests because they were being eaten alive by black flies or buffalo gnats. And somebody said, how could they do that? How could they just leave their eggs? And the people who were saying that had not spent enough time with black flies (laughs) and buffalo gnats. Otherwise, they would say, oh, I could see that. I see why they left. So the thing with loons is they're not very good at being bothered on the nest, whether it's black flies or humans. They just don't like a lot of activity. So I would love to go see them, but I just wouldn't want to get real close. You know, binocular distance would be fine. Well, you know, and now what a great state bird. Now that you mentioned it, I don't recall seeing many loons at zoos either. So if they don't like being looked at, maybe that's why. Do you recall seeing loons at zoos? At, I'm not thinking I've seen. You know, any. I I don't. Yeah. No. Maybe that's why. Well, I captured a loon once. I don't know that I ever want to do that again. One landed at the Skyline Mall in Albert Lee. Somebody called me and said, I think there's a loon in the mall parking lot. (laughs) And it had rained quite heavily. So the parking lot looked like a lake. So the loon came down and hit that, and then it couldn't run because they're really bad walking on land, and they need to run quite a bit in order to become uh, get enough lift to become airborne. So it couldn't it couldn't get airborne. So I had a bunch of blankets. It's pouring rain. I'm out there. <laughs> there were some people waiting outside the store. They were watching me with great interest. Not enough to help. But I finally I felt so bad because I didn't want to hurt the loon. But I finally caught him. You have to be really careful because that bill is a dagger. And I did get it over its head, and I took it down and let it go in Elberly Lake, and it just dove. It just went underwater right away, and then I, I couldn't see it come up because it was dark. But I, I'm hoping it did okay. But I, I never want to be a loon wrangler. That's not a job for a, um, an adult man anyway. A kid maybe to chase them around and be all right. But I, my biggest fear was that I was doing the poor loon more harm than good. But if I left him there in the parking lot, it wasn't going to be good either. Probably get run over, hit by a car or something. So, so it, it was a good deed. But uh, man, that was a that bill is a scary thing. And they're big birds, very big birds. There's um, somebody asked me this morning. And it was, I was going down the road. I put up a new mailbox, which is a pretty cool thing. And I, a guy stopped. I don't know if he just stopped to admire my new mailbox or what he was doing. And it's, I didn't know him. I don't think I know him. Usually when you know somebody, but you don't remember your name, you say, oh, I know who that is. Your mind's going. I, I didn't have any of that. And he said, well, nice mailbox. And he said, are there vultures on every continent? So maybe he just drove over to ask that question. I don't know. <laughs> he must have knew and you I knew said, about birds then. Yeah. And I said, no, they're not. And I said, there's there's none in Antarctica, which we'd expect. You'd just say, well, of course there's not. But the other one is kind of surprising to everybody. There's no vultures in Australia. So really? Australia and Antarctica are the places where you don't see vultures. So he said, okay, well, thanks. Have a great day. And he drove away. So it was kind of kind of an interesting. Somebody always stops when I'm down at the mailbox. Um, my wife laughs about it. And uh, they're just really nice people. They stop and 
a lot of them are saying, how are you doing? And I've been thinking about you and that kind of thing. So it's just really nice. And other ones just stop and saying, boy, the corner's looking good, but it's a lot of wet. And they just, just people stop to say hi. So it's, it's one of the joys about living in um, an area where there aren't very many people, I guess. There it, tends to be fewer of us here every year. It sounds like you need to have a lemonade stand or something so you can make it a profitable yeah. time when you, <laughs> since everybody's just hanging out and stopping to chat. That's right, and I, I shouldn't admit this, but when, I, when I'm when i in a real hurry to get down there and back, I'll kind of hide behind a tree and look <laughs> both ways, and then I make a run for it and slap the mail in the mailbox and run back up, because when we're in a hurry to go somewhere, my wife's tapping her wristwatch. I don't want to be down there talking to somebody for a long time, but, but I, I don't want people to stop talking either, because it's one of those things that uh, it enriches my life, so, and, which I should say KMSU enriches my life, too. So I hope everybody will be very generous in their donations coming up or right on right Wednesday. To tomorrow? Yep, tomorrow, yeah. Wednesday. So, you bet. Uh, I hope everybody will be very generous. And, you know, you always, you, you always have money on the dresser drawer, one of those penny jars where you throw quarters and everything in, just... You know, take that down to the bank, and whatever you get there, just turn around and send it to KMSU, and it, it really does help. You know, sometimes and, those penny jars can really get full. My son, he, I don't know how long he had it, but he had a jar, and he had over $100 in that thing, and I was said, really? $100 of all those coins? But, hey, you know, if you just leave them for long enough, it, it all adds up. Our bank used to have the old machine. You'd bring it in there and say, well, could you come back on a week from Tuesday and we should have it counted. <laughs> now there's this machine that you just, I don't know, it just pour it in there and whoop, it goes right through. They got it all weighed and sorted and everything. It's it's amazingly good. And it's funny how, how quick that, I guess that must be why I still pick up pennies at the gas station saw a young guy come out the other day and he just threw them all up in the air and I'm an old guy I get on my car and I pick them all up so it's kind of the generational difference there I guess between the millennials and baby booners well I do that too I because hope. I've said to my students I've said because yeah, one there's just well that's just a penny it's not worth anything well of course it is if you get a hundred it's worth a dollar right and so you keep it getting sure them is. and that all adds up I know it's just a penny but that penny may be a help one day yeah, so um, young folks keep throwing those pennies out at the <laughs> yeah, gas station because exactly. it gives me something to do while I'm pumping <laughs> gas. I hope everybody will stop at the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always the Heimlich Maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. I mentioned our mailbox. It was hit by a snowplow a few years ago. It wasn't the first time it had been hit by snowplows. Those folks on the plows do great work, but they have to push a lot of snow, and sometimes the snow is deep enough that it takes care of my mailbox. And the good folks at the county highway department put up a new one without me even asking for it. The new mailbox worked well, but it tended to rust and it rusted enough that the door fell off. So I wired it back in place. You know, I'm one of those guys that can fix anything with a plier, screwdriver, a little duct tape, and some wire. And that worked for a while. Then the wire broke. I replaced it. Then it broke again. I replaced it again. That went on for pretty much an eternity or, or a very long time. 
and the door just refused to remain closed. I thought, boy, I'm going to run out of wire one of these days. So my wife and I went to the hardware store. We purchased a mailbox nearly identical to the old one. We installed it using the rusty screws from the old mailboxes. <laughs> no screws, rusty or otherwise, were included with the new mailbox. And a minor celebration followed. A job well done. And the new mailbox looks spiffy. It looks really nice. Next morning, when I took some mail down to the box, I saw that the door of the new mailbox had fallen open. <laughs> so remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your good company. Thanks, everybody, for listening to KMSU, and thanks for supporting KMSU. Thanks, Al. Always great to talk, chat with you. We look forward to being with you next week, okay? I look forward to it. All right. Bye-bye.